chapter 2, and verse 10 reads, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. One of the things that we do in our house with our family and our children is we have a chore chart. We have a a chart up on the fridge of the different chores that each kid is supposed to do on a daily basis, depending on what day of the week it is. And it could be something, you know, really simple, like take a washcloth and wipe off the table. It could be vacuum, you know. We have tile floors, and after you eat cereal once, you see it all over the place. So vacuum underneath the table and things like that. It's been a blessing in our family to have the chore chart because there's no questions about it. It's on the chore chart. It's been codified. That's what you do, right? Well, the challenge what I have found with the chore chart is that sometimes not all the kids are at the house. Maybe there's a couple kids that spent the afternoon at grandma's, or maybe another kid is at a friend's house, or maybe one just forgot their chore. So maybe I'll come downstairs and I'll see that the table wasn't wiped, or that the bathroom trash wasn't emptied, or whatever other chore is on their chart. And I'll go, hey, how come you didn't wipe off the table after you were done eating? And a common phrase that I hear from my children, and maybe you've said this phrase before, I've said it before too, and that's the phrase, it's not my job. Right? Have you ever said that? It's not my job. Clearly the guy here up on the screen who was painting that line on the road, his job was, according to his work chore chart, was to paint the line, not to move the stump. It wasn't his job. But this phrase, this idea of it's not my job, it doesn't just stay with being a child, right? We do that all the time. It's like the worst, most detrimental thing on the job site, right? If someone else says, well, it's not my job, nothing ever gets done, right? We want people to take the initiative. We want people to be driven. We want people to be self-starters. We want people to just get things done when they see a need. That it's not my job is not a godly mentality. In fact, it is an ungodly one. I love this picture right here. Their job was to demolish the road. It's not their job to move the car, right? I mean, how silly that is, right? But it's not my job is an ungodly mentality. And when it comes to the church, the idea of it's not my job cannot exist in a healthy congregation. You cannot have a healthy church if all of us are always thinking, it's not my job. Isn't someone else going to do it? You know, when Brother Michael Whitworth was here this last weekend, he referenced Cain and Abel, and he was talking about how sometimes we don't understand the words that are used there and things like that. But remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain kills his brother. God says, Cain, where's your brother? And Cain famously says what? Am I my brother's keeper, right? He's basically saying, not my job to watch him. I mean, really, and we know how flippant it is. He just murdered his brother. But he makes the phrase, am I my brother's keeper? It's not my job to know God. And obviously we know he knows what happened. But again, that mentality happens oftentimes in the church. Someone goes, well, have you seen um, brother or sister so-and-so? I haven't seen him at services in a while. And I'm not my brother's keeper. Well, yeah, you are, right? But that mentality cannot function in a healthy church. You can't have the phrase on your tongue all the time that someone else will do it. And maybe we don't articulate that. Maybe we would never actually say that out loud, but we see a need, a need in the church, a need in the community, a need in our family, a need in our world. And in the back of our mind, we think to ourselves, well, someone else is going to do it, right? Someone else 
we'll take care of it. Or maybe even in a more arrogant way, we say something like, it's not my problem. It's not my deal. It's not up to me. I'm not the only one in the church. I'm not the only one in the world. I can't do it all. It's not my problem. Or maybe we try to conceptualize it a little bit and make ourselves feel better. We go, well, it's none of my business, right? I don't want to get involved. I don't want to feel like I'm involving myself in something that's not me. So I know that we should be people that keep to ourselves and not bother people. So I'm going to tell myself when I see a need that, well, it's none of my business. It's not, it's not my thing. You know, I, I just want to stay out of it. Or maybe someone presents a need to you and they say, have you seen this? Did you know this is going on? Did you know this problem needs to be addressed? And you go, so what? It's not that big of a deal. It's not my thing. So what? Or maybe here's what I see sometimes happen in, in, in church world a lot of times. We see a need. We know there's a need. And we go, well, I'm sure the elders are going to take care of it. Well, first off, we even have two new elders now, and I guarantee you even all four of them don't know what's going on all the time and see every single need in the congregation. We can't always assume that, well, the elders are going to take care of it. And I even said that before. Usually I just pass the buck when someone's asking me to do something, right? But we do that, right? Well, I'm sure the elders are going to take care of it. No, maybe it's up to me to take care of it. And then on the flip side with it, a lot of times we'll tell ourselves, well, if the elders can't do it, I'm sure that's why we pay the preachers, right? I mean, that, that's their job. We, we pay them to do our Christianity for us, right? That's totally ungodly, first off. We don't pay the preachers to do your work. In fact, you support the preachers so they can do the Lord's work. But anyway, that whole mentality of someone else is going to do it is an ungodly mentality. And you can't have that in a healthy congregation because here's what happens. The, the members of the congregation go, well, I'm sure the elders are going to do that. And then what happens is the elders assume the preacher is going to do it. So the elders end up doing the work of the deacon. And the deacons don't know what they're supposed to do. And no one does anything, right? Not everybody can do our Christianity for us. The idea of it's not my job cannot exist in a healthy church. Our point of our lesson this morning, very plainly, very simply, is this. No one can live your Christianity for you. No one can serve God for me. No one can serve God for you. It's up to all of us to step up to be driven, to not pass the buck, to not say, it's not my job. No one can live your Christianity for you. It's up to you. It's up to me to serve God. With that in mind, let me prove it to you. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and we actually even were already in the book of Galatians this morning when talking about the the communion in our relationship with Jesus there. But in Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1, you have the end of this letter. Now, this is a letter written by a preacher named Paul. He's writing it to Christians like us. Okay, that yeah, it was 2,000 years ago, but the same problems that they have are the same problems that we have. The same sins they struggle with are the same sins we struggle with. The same drama that happens in the church world happens there and all of that. So what Paul does is he writes this letter to a church in Galatia. The people that lived in Galatia are called Galatians. Okay, we don't usually refer to ourselves as Visalians because that doesn't flow off the tongue very well, but that's who these people were. So Paul writes this letter to them. And here's what he tells them starting in verse 1. He says, brethren, talking to Christians, he's a brother, they're a brother, right? They're church family. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, 
You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now let me translate that to you in a modern speech a little bit. He says, if you see somebody falling into guilty of trapped in sin, they're living their life in a way that's wrong, and you see it, and they're a Christian, and they shouldn't be doing that, and it's going to cost them their soul. Because that's what sin will do to you. If you leave Jesus and start sinning and don't leave the sin and never come back to Jesus, you can be lost. That's bad. So we then, as Christians, what happens? We see that going on. We have a brother or we have a sister in the church that we love and we care about, but that person is, is wrapped up in some kind of a sin right now. Maybe they've, they've left Jesus in some way, they've gone back to some old lifestyle, some old addictions, some old struggles, and they're in that situation. What does he say to do? He says, you who are spiritual. So those of us who are trying to serve God, and he's not, this isn't an arrogant, like, well, I'm spiritual, you're not. No, we all are trying to be spiritual. We're all trying to be led and walk by the Spirit, right? That's what we do. So he says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. What does that mean? That means it's your problem. That means it's your job. That means that not someone else will do it. You will do it. I will do it. Why? Because I see a need, and instead of assuming that, well, I'm sure the elders will reach out to them. No! They're in sin. You know them. You love them. You help them. Right? You see a need. You meet that need. Scary thing happened. In our family, uh, oh, about a week ago, we, Owen had his piano recital there in Exeter, and afterwards we went out to eat at a restaurant there in downtown Exeter. And after we were eating, um, I was paying the bill, and Zinni and the kids and Grandma, they're kind of walking up and down the street, they're window shopping a little bit, looking at the displays, trying to keep the kids quiet, because, by the way, if you ever work in food service, once the kids are done eating, you have to immediately get the check there. Kids don't socialize. They'll tear the restaurant apart, especially when you've got six of them, okay? But, so, we're, we ushered them out of the restaurant quickly while I'm paying the bill. So, they're walking down the street, well, apparently, Fiona, who is big enough to hold a hand and walk, broke loose for a moment and started wandering out toward the street and every single person in the family all of a sudden, oh no, Fiona, there's a car, runs out there, tries to stop her. Owen doesn't go, well, it's not my job. Claire doesn't go, well, it's not on the chore chart. It's not my day to watch Fiona. Zinni doesn't go, I'm assuming my mom's going to get her, right? What did they do? They saw a need and they panicked and they were intense, and they were intentional, and they ran out and tried to stop her, and they did, obviously, and keep her from going into traffic. Why? Because they love her, they cared about her, it wasn't someone else's job. In moments of seriousness, you can't pass the buck and say, someone else will do it. He says, go after that person, looking out for yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So also don't become arrogant and think that you have it all figured out, he says. Going on to verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. That means you help each other. When people are going through a rough spot, you're there for them. You care about them. No one can live your Christianity for you. And the strong Christians need to build up the weak Christians. We do that by going after them when they're sinning. We do that by standing beside them when they're struggling. When someone is hurting, we bear the hurt too. We don't ignore it. Well, someone else will comfort them. Someone else will reach out to them. Let's keep going. Though. Look at verse 6. He says, The one who is taught the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, then he shall also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. He says, if people shared the Gospel with you, if they helped you get to heaven, if they helped you along the way, help them too. Now, specifically, contextually, he's even talking about, I think, financially supporting the missionaries and things like that. But the idea is, in the church, we help one another. If, if someone helped you, you help them. You help them, they help you. Back and forth, we function as a family and we care about one another. No one can live your Christianity for you. Let's skip ahead to verse 9 and 10. It says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not go, grow weary. Now notice verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good toward all people, and especially those who are of the household of faith. There's a lot of work to do, he says. Don't grow weary in doing that work. And he says, when you have the opportunity, and you know what? You're going to be faced with opportunities every day of your life. I know I am. We ignore the opportunities. But he says, as you have opportunity, do good toward who? All people. And he's writing to Christians, by the way, to do this. He's telling a church to do this. We need to care about other people. All people. We should hurt when they hurt. When they're in pain, we're in pain. When they're sad, we're sad. Because we love them, care about them, and want them to get to heaven. And even more so, when a Christian has a need, we meet that need. Notice he says, especially those who are of the household of faith. There is a priority in our generosity. Our priority, first and foremost, is to our family. Right? Our church family. We help each other out and we also help out others. No one can live your Christianity for you. Help others, especially Christians. So now let's get real practical then. We've established that it's biblical, right? It's biblical for us to do good works. It's biblical for all of us to step up and restore people and bear each other's burdens and to do good toward all people. It's not someone else's job. It's our job. And we've discussed that it is an unhealthy you know, attitude to have in the church. You can't have everybody saying it's not my job and have a healthy church. The church will be dysfunctional if everybody has that mentality. So let's get practical then. What is our job then? What is our obligation or our responsibility to different groups of people that we're going to come across? Let's give some examples. What's our responsibility toward a person who's been missing Church services. Well, I'm sure someone else is going to reach out to them. No. Our responsibility is to make sure they're okay. To make sure they're not struggling. To help them in their faith. To make sure that they can stay connected to God. To tell them that you love them and that you miss them and that you care about them. Whose responsibility is that? All of ours. It's our job. What about to someone who's a first-time guest? To our church service. Someone walks in those doors the first time. Well, I'm sure the ushers will greet them. Isn't there someone on the, on the duty roster that's assigned as a greeter? I'm sure they'll make them feel welcome. I bet you the elders will talk to them. Well, I saw the preachers over in that general vicinity. They'll, they'll make sure that person feels welcome. What's, what's my responsibility? What's your responsibility to that first-time visitor? 
Well, it's to make them feel welcome. It's to show them where to go. Let's to tell them where the services are. Let's to point out the drinking fountains, the bathrooms, to tell them your name, to welcome them here, to let them sit by you, to you know, explain what's going on, to make them feel cared for. Well, isn't that what the elders do? No. We all do that. What about to somebody who's a repeat visitor? Well, not to just ignore them now that they've been here once, right? To keep reaching out to them, to keep making them feel welcome, to keep making them feel loved. Well, isn't someone else going to do that? Don't we have a visitation team? Don't we have an involvement group or somebody that gets them connected? No, that's us. It's all of us. What about maybe to a young family? What's our responsibility to them to make them feel welcomed and loved? You know, maybe they're struggling to get their kids here to church services and they make them somewhat behave on the pew. I know it's not our responsibility to look at them mad when their kids make noise or to talk about them. No, that's not it, right? Our responsibility is to make them feel welcome, loved, and appreciated and glad that they're here. What about the single mom who's trying to be here, who's never heard a sermon in the last like six months because she's wandering the halls with a baby? What's our responsibility to her? It's not my job. No, yeah, it is. What about to the widow, the person whose husband has passed on and is now lonely, has certain needs around the house that can't, she can't do anymore? Who's going to take care of it? Well, don't we have a, a widow deacon ministry or something? No, it's all of us. We all have a job to do. What can we do for her? What can we do for the shut-in? The person who can't be in this fellowship. We get a lot out of being here. It motivates us. It encourages us. It what about the person who's been stuck in a hospital bed or in a convalescent care home or a person who can't leave their house anymore because of health issues? When was the last time you called them up and hit them up? When was the last time you just started flipping through the directory of the church members and go, you know, I haven't talked to that person in a while. How are they doing? What's our responsibility to them? What's our responsibility to the youth to encourage them, to build them up, to help them grow and let the faith not be the faith of their parents but becomes and grows into their own faith? What's our job toward the Bible class teacher? Well, it's to attend their classes, but it's also to encourage them, to thank them, to build them up because they're working hard. What's your responsibility to the preacher? Same kind of like the Bible class teachers, to listen, to learn, to grow, to encourage. What's our responsibility to the elders? What's our job toward them? You know, to help them, to shepherd you, get to know them, build them up, encourage them. What's our responsibility? What's our job to the sick? Well, doesn't Monday night for the Master take care of that? Don't they send cards to all the sick? It's our job to reach out to them. What about to the depressed? To those that are struggling with depression or maybe even any kind of mental illness? What are we doing to reach out to them? What are we doing to make them feel loved and cared for and appreciated when they're going through a rough time emotionally? Well, it's not my job. There's some professional that can handle that. No, it's all of our job. What about our responsibility to you know, a Christian that we know is, is involved in some sin that they need to stop? Well, I'm sure the elders will deal with it. No. It's all of our job, according to Galatians chapter 6. What about to the divorced? And in fact, tonight we're going to be having a lesson I'm specifically going to deal about on the topic of divorce. So come back here tonight because I know that's one of those topics that have a lot of questions. But I will tell you that a lot of times we don't reach out to people in those situations. We don't make them feel loved and and cared for when maybe they're coming out of a broken relationship. What can we do for them? What about to a person who's who's married who just got married? How can we build them up? Or what about to the person who's never been married? To the single Christian? Do we make them feel like they're less of of a Christian or there's something wrong with them that they never got married? How do we treat them? 
Well, it's not my job to build them up. Yes, it is. It's all of our job. What about to the abused? The one whose, whose home life or relationship is not good and they're hurting and they feel broken because of that. What is our responsibility to them? What about our responsibility to the addict? The one who keeps falling back into the same addiction, whether it be maybe drugs, alcohol, pornography. What are we doing for them? Well, someone else will take care of him. No, we will reach out to them. What about to the disabled? What about to the poor? What about to those that just feel broken? Ultimately, in all of this, it is our job because no one can live your Christianity for you. The idea of it's not my job is not a Christian virtue. We cannot have that kind of phrase in our mind. You think about the apostles. You think about Jesus and the work that they did that they didn't have to do. They did it for us. They did it because they felt like it was their job. The Apostle Paul later would tell Titus, the preacher there in Crete, in chapter 3, verse 14, he said, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. But notice who that verse is to according to Titus 3 and verse 14. Our people, not our leaders, not our preachers, not our elders, not our deacons, not our trained ministerial staff, not our, you know, whatever kind of people you want to plug in there. It's our people must also learn to engage in good deeds. In Galatians 6, he's writing to brethren. Let me simplify it. That's all of us. We are those people. We are those brethren. And no one can live our Christianity for us. The lesson is yours this morning. We're going to sing an invitation song here in a second. If there's one thing you get from our lesson today, it's hopefully it's that idea that it is our job. It is your job. It is my job. God has a job for all of us to do. Let's not put it off. Let's not pass it off onto someone else. Let's just get out there and get it done. We're going to sing an invitation song. If you have a need, you can come forward now. As together we stand and as we sing.